go ahead and get started then. So John 15, starting in verse 18 through the end of chapter 16. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father? So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has get delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish 
for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Lord, there are many wonderful things we see of you in this passage. Lord, and we could spend uh, many, many Sundays here just rejoicing in what you show us. Uh, but I pray that you would show us something uh, beautiful today uh, as Phil speaks, something wonderful of you. Uh, Lord, it's something uh, that you will leave with us in our hearts uh, for the rest of our lives. Lord, pray these things in your name. Amen. It's a long passage of scripture there, but I believe it's a unit. Um, I would like to have you watch a short video. Um, our church doesn't do this often, um, but I think it's really relevant because of the passage and the subject of it. Um, so I'm uh, just going to introduce it briefly. Um, it's a, from the American Gospel. So there's a two-part series out there that really gives an analysis of the, the church in America. Um, it's quite harsh, but I think it's right on. And this testimony is one that I just love from the Burgers. Now, these people, um, this is from 2018. This man and his wife were successful business people. He was actually the spokesman and chief knowledge officer for CrossFit. Um, he was involved in CrossFit at the very beginning. Um, and so... He was actually fired for speaking openly uh, against sin in the workplace and sharing his testimony um, with others and being public about it. So this was like uh, four years ago. And so uh, one of the tweets, okay, so social media, a lot of harsh things are said on there. I'm reading one of the more mild tweets that was added him, if you know what that means. So his name was added in this tweet. And this is what it says. Hey. Russell Berger, why did you delete your bigotry tweet toward the LGBTQ community? I'm ashamed to own an affiliate right now because of you, you disgusting piece of trash. And that, that is one of the more mild ones um, that you can find on there. So this is his and his wife's testimony, and I think it bears on well, uh, John 15 and 16. So we want to kill some delights so before too. I got sick, um, I was somebody who probably spent most of their time worrying about how healthy my diet was. Russell and I had just been married for a year. We were happy. Um, 
I was focused on working out. Exercise was a big part of our relationship. I actually was able to do CrossFit all during my pregnancy. Uh, I was running when I went into labor. I felt like I had done everything right. Um, I had a career in pharmaceutical sales that was important to me. And then when I got sick, um, you know, everything changed. So after my son was born, my wife had a lot of very serious complications from her genetic disorder. And she went to Birmingham to have a surgery that we had hoped was gonna fix all of her problems. As we approached the surgery, Russell started um, going to church. He became interested in organized religion, which was upsetting to me. It was something that I really didn't want to be a part of. Uh, I stayed an atheist, or I would sometimes say an agnostic, until my 20s. Kind of had the whole American dream situation. You know, everything that I could have wanted in life, I had. And yet, I was crushed with an overwhelming sense of sin. We were both living, ultimately, for ourselves. And I didn't want to suffer at all. I didn't want to feel even, you know, on the pain scale, you know, goes zero to 10. I didn't want to feel a three. You know, I felt that I deserved to feel a zero like I did before. In the surgery, uh, which went well, um, she apparently had a, uh, a bleed that they didn't catch. And so in recovery, they sent her home. And she went home with an internal bleed that was pooling blood in her abdomen. We went back to the hospital a few days later and they didn't even really want to see her because they didn't think anything was wrong. Uh, we went in uh, to see a nurse practitioner. The doctor wasn't going to see me, but I walked in and um, somehow managed to have okay blood pressure. My, my heart rate was okay. And I started to walk out the door and then the nurse practitioner said she just felt suddenly like a presence um, stop her and say, look at this girl again. And um, she later said she felt like it was God. She was a Christian, and she believed that, that God wanted her to re-examine me. And a few minutes later, everybody came running. And um, all of a sudden, it was code blue, and they were talking about me. And I was shocked. And I needed five blood transfusions um, just to get me to a stable point. And that still left me severely anemic. I watched the blood going in because I was so joyful and I had so much peace and I believe that's when our lives started to change. And in the weeks and months afterwards, I needed God to get me through every minute, every second, every hour of every day. I began to get sicker, so I went in for some blood work and my doctor called and said he thought it might be cancer. Um, but they suggested that it, it could be a form of T-cell lymphoma or leukemia. And so we moved quickly to a specialist to have that taken out. And they ended up having to use both of my nostrils and resection part of my skull, but they were able to get it out that way. So uh, this is when they're just coming to Christ. If you watch her testimony and their testimony, she's basically like, I'd never trade a single minute of my suffering because I know Jesus, <laughs> because of it. You know, amen. amen. And, and you guys can be the same way. And really, that's kind of what I want to talk about today. You know, G.K. Chesterton said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been, been found difficult and left untried. You know, Jesus promised, it's a hard promise, right? In this world, you will have trouble. And just remember, this is the last hours 
of the last day of his life on earth before the resurrection. Remember last week, the dying words, the last words of a dying man. And, and actually, the section that we're in today is not about intimacy with Christ. It's kind of the opposite. Intimacy with Christ, opposition from the world. And really, it's not just uh, persecution, though they experience that. It's everything that fights us. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, in a, in a cursed world. Even ourselves, sometimes we struggle in this world. And so Jesus, the, la- the very last thing he talks about is all the difficulties we're going to have. I find that very interesting. He says, you're intimate with me, now let me tell you the bad news. Um, this is the last thing he said, recorded by John to them in that room. I find that very informative. And I, th- I think the reason he says this is a couple things. One, he knew that we were going to have trouble. <laughs> in life, everyone has trouble, but believers often have more trouble because of the curse and the internal struggle against the old person in us. But also, I think in our culture, especially in the West, it goes like this, and Jesus knew this. You have an intimate relationship with me, your life should be pain-free. I think, I think, right? Like, it's funny, but that's the way we think in America. My AC doesn't work, I must be sinning, right? Or something along those lines, right? What did I not do? We're so superstitious. But really, really... That's the way it goes in our lives. And I'm, I'm just there with you. Oftentimes, why is the world so opposed to me? And so Jesus left his close friends and us with the words that follow in John 15. Life is hard and it's difficult. I want you to think for a second about the time you needed the most help. Um, there's been some times in my life where I felt pretty helpless. COVID, uh, a couple years ago, I was laying on the couch. I was pretty sick. Um, maybe in your life you've had worse, probably so. Um, what was the result, and what did you feel when you got that help? Um, was it from the Lord? Was it an answer to prayer? I, I don't know. I want to share with you one instance that really, I think, frames it in a good way before we dive into the text again. Um, my neighbor, Ken, uh, I got up and prayed about this, actually. His name is Ken. He's long since moved, but over on 317 Wista Vista, um, we, we got to be pretty good friends with him. He loved Hezekiah, put him in his little dump truck. He was a construction worker and would drive him out there. But one night, Jen and I were in the kitchen, and my wife was, I think, making scones or something of the um, ilk, and we heard this weird sound outside, and it was like a screaming sound, and I'm like, oh man, someone's fighting again outside, because you know, you can hear your neighbors fighting sometimes. And it just got louder. And it didn't actually change. And I'm like, okay, this sounds like someone is really in trouble. So I go outside, and my neighbor is like crawling down his steps and screaming in pain, like doubled over, can't even really speak to me about what's wrong. So I went over and and made sure at first I was like, okay, is he under the influence of some substance? But clearly not. And all he could say was help, basically help. So I ended up having to call 911 for the second time in my life. And I got to hold his hand and wait until the paramedics arrived. And it turns out he had, like this lady in the video, an internal bleed that he was going to die if he didn't get help. It was so painful for him. And I just say that because help arrived for him. And life is difficult. It certainly was for him. It was for the burgers. It is for us. And and we need help. And I believe this passage is about what help. Jesus promises us in a difficult world. 
I think there are four things. They all start with P we're going to look at today, but these things give us hope because God promises to help us in a world that is opposed to us as followers of Jesus and just because of the curse. So if you look in 18 to 25, it's long. I'm not going to reread it all. But the first thing that I think God tells us through his son, Jesus Christ, that we will have help, what, what is that? It's prediction. I call it prediction. It's a prediction of the future. You know, if we're struggling with the reality of now, I believe it's a great help to know the future. And Jesus says to his disciples, right? He says, know that it has hated me and it will hate you. This is really in response to persecution, like the burgers. He got fired from his job right when he had trusted Jesus, basically. When, when we are struggling and being persecuted, we also know that Jesus went through the same thing. So there's this knowledge that comes from of the future and what Jesus has done. I call it prediction. How does that work in our lives? You might be like, oh, that, that doesn't help me. I think here's one good way that might help us understand what Jesus is saying that helps us about prediction. You know, both of my grandparents served in World War II. Um, my grandpa's, sorry. Um, one in the Pacific and one in the European theater. And my grandpa in the European theater was a frontline medic because he was a conscientious objector. He saw things like his best friend getting blown up by a grenade. Pretty difficult. How did he get through? And the things that he shared with me, and he didn't share all of it, but how did he get through? Well, it was helpful, and I remember this, that he knew that death was imminent every day. In a weird way, knowing that was helpful to him, and then knowing that his buddies were going through it with him, and that they could experience that very difficult trial was very helpful to him. And I think that is exactly what Jesus is saying. He's like, look, you're going to go through hard times, but I, I tell you what's going to happen. And really, only God knows the future. So there's a little bit of a divine claim, isn't it? Jesus is like, I'm God. It will happen. I'll be with you, and I will go through the same thing as you. I think that's of great help to us in our lives, and, and it results in peace. If you look at 1633, the result of these things is peace not struggle. That intimacy with Christ and the joy, and then knowing the future, and knowing that God will help us, brings peace in our lives. We know what will happen. It's not a surprise to God, and it isn't a surprise to us. And the disciples had experienced some of this. We're going to talk about what happens to them later, but I want to I camp for a minute then on this world, the opposition that we face, and the struggles that go along with that. So the word world the word world in here is 105 times in John, 78 times, sorry, 105 times in all the writings of John in 78 verses. And it can mean 13 different things. I'm not going to go through them all, but in a lot of ways, it's actually the way we use world. It's this really general term that can mean people in general. It can mean a vague reference to everything related, like we say, what in the world is that, right? It can relate to the physical earth. Or it can mean really our sphere of influence, like your world. What are you doing in your world today? Or we use it like John did as believers, which is the sinful fallen earth and the people in it, including ourselves, <laughs> and everything that belongs to their lives and way of living that is hostile to God. So not just persecution, it's everything in life that attacks us. And so in this passage... Knowing these things is of help. So now that I've told you it is helpful, let me list them because it can be a little discouraging looking at all the things Jesus says that we might experience. But remember, he knows them. 
and that's of help. And there are other things that are helpful. 1518, you will have hate from the world. If you are sitting in here and know Jesus, you will, you will have hate from the world. 1520, not just hate, but persecution. I take that to mean physical attack. Uh, we have 1520, and here's an interesting one. Ignoring of advice and counsel. That's hurtful. You know, like I ignored my parents' advice when I was growing up. I thought I knew better. Igno like just having someone ignore you, let alone the gospel message, the only thing that will actually save them is just ignored. That's hard. That's a trouble in life. Those of you who have kids can really identify with that one. How about rejecting miracles, 1524? That, that to me just strikes, Jesus says they're going to reject, they rejected me and everything I did, and they'll reject you. This testimony, unbelievers, they'll reject it. They're like, ah, it's not what happened. Donnie's testimony, one of the kids actually came up to Donnie afterward. He's like, is it true? And he's like, it is. Look at my arms. It is. Look at my arms. The world rejects the way that God works in your life. And Jesus knows that, and he told us that. Here's another one, 16.2. Expelled from fellowship in the communities that are around us, whether believers or unbelievers. For them, he was talking about religious communities, but I think it's also communities in general. Just this loss of fellowship is difficult in this life. You know, at work, you can think about if you stand up for Christ, you're going to lose friends. You will lose friends and communities if you are honest about the Lord Jesus and what he says to you. And we think about virtue signaling in this world, man. You got to say or do a certain thing to be accepted in the culture. We can't, and we won't, and we'll experience persecution, but it's okay. Because Jesus knows it. He went through it. That's one example, I think. How about 1616? Just keeps going. Loneliness and the feeling of abandonment. Uh, I think that was hard for Jesus, to know that all of his friends would abandon him. That's difficult. In the, in the most trying hour of his life, he knew that all of his friends were going to abandon him. We think along with Apostle Paul in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1, near the end, he says, everyone in the province of Asia has abandoned me. That's hard. That's hard. That's what's coming for us in some regard. 1620, grief from watching loved ones suffer. That's hard to watch our loved ones suffer. Not just because of sin, because of the curse. Think of Tommy Collins. It was a hard process to watch him suffer and die. Jesus tells us he knows it's coming. And then probably actually my favorite, I'm, I don't know that it should be, but 1629, every time I read it now, it makes me laugh. Because the disciples are so sure of themselves, like an hour or two before they're going to run away from Jesus. They're like, aha, I love how Nathan read it, aha, we got it now, Jesus, we believe. We believe, maybe, in part. But unbelief, overconfidence, pride, and an ungodly certainty, book of James, about what's next is a struggle we have in this life. That primarily comes from ourselves. We're like, I'm going to do this tomorrow. Maybe. Or maybe you'll get cancer. Or maybe you'll get into a car accident. We don't know. Jesus says, you will have trouble. And then uh, 32 is interesting. There's a falling away for a time or maybe permanently in a scattering. In this passage, there are two words that almost sound the same in Greek. They start with the same thing, and one means scatter, the disciples. Think about them running and coming back for a time living in rebellion, and then there's actually falling away. Jesus said, I'm going to help you from actually falling away if you're mine. But there will be times we scatter. 
And you can think about betrayal in your own life, or maybe you've been the one betraying the Lord. I, I don't know. But it's of help, and that, that's the end of the list. <laughs> there could be more, but I think those are enough. You know, it is of help to know that God knows our sin struggles in the, in the world around us and has walked through the same thing without sin. And he's available for us. And he knows what will happen. The death that he died in our place on the cross is not just for our past sins. It covers everything, brothers and sisters, and that is of great help to us. So, so what? How does this help you in your daily life? Understanding the struggles and, and knowing them, the predictions Jesus makes. Well, here's one, and I have a good brother here who today, we kind of agree on this. I don't know that for certain, the U.S. is not as bad as it has been anywhere else in the world. It's pretty good still, but there's a pathway that our culture is on. Tom Wright, uh, on Friday, we're talking about this passage, and he said, every culture, and I think he's right, moves this way. Marginalization of Christians, demonization, and this one is coming, criminalization. And, and we are real close to that last one. You know, uh, he just spoke up for the name of Christ. And I, that tweet was against something he said, but he was very vocal. The real reason he was fired because he was open about salvation and his work. And he was fired. I mean, that's not criminalization, but it's close. Right? I know that some in here have moved away from states that they cannot do business as a believer because if they do, they'll have to lie or, or believe or admit they believe something that they don't. Very close to that in our culture. I want to give you some examples that I think will actually encourage you because what is God doing? Young people, and I think us too, are being prepared for this. I have a couple of examples. In school at Richardson High School, Jasmine Cloud, there was a debate about a year and a half ago. She was a very new believer, just baptized. It was about abortion. She was the only student in a class of about 25 to 30 kids who stood up and said it's wrong. The only one. But she didn't, she wasn't like sad about it or discouraged. She was like, yeah, I did it. And God helped me to get through it. And they were mean to her. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, I'm standing up and it's okay. We'll give you props. No, they were mean to her. Another one, um, Sarah Johnson at her work, um, relatively young believer, probably older in the faith than uh, Jasmine at that point. But she became friends with someone who professed to be a believer. Later, it turns out that she was like casting spells on her own. And she asked her to go on a trip with her. And Sarah was like, okay, maybe, maybe I can be a witness. And then she told her that she was going to rip up pages of the Bible and smoke marijuana with them. And at that point, I'm not making it up. She's like, okay, I need, to, I need to stand up for Christ. And she did, and she lost that friendship. And there were difficult times at work. Now, I'm happy to say that God has really used that in her life to strengthen her faith and make a testimony to work. I know them because they're in my area, but you guys probably have done the same thing, and God is preparing you and I in obedience as we're intimate with Christ to walk out our faith in the public square. It's coming, so, that, so I'm saying it's coming. Jesus promised it, but you're ready. The Spirit is in you, and we're going to talk about the next, but he promised it's coming, he predicted it, and you're ready. So I challenge you. Maybe you're thinking, I'm not. Okay. Well, then think about it. Are you ready if the police came to your home and said, you're, you're raising your kids in a hateful way, I'm taking them. Pray that you will be. It could happen. It may come, absolutely. It may not, but it may come. And right now, in places, it is criminal to speak the gospel. 
Are you prepared to do that? If it becomes illegal, will you follow Christ anyway? You know, we have these history of, of countries in the world where that happens and like half of churches are gone. I pray that we would all remain, that we wouldn't fall away, that we would maybe scatter, maybe, but come back quickly. And no, I pray that none of us would scatter. We would all here at CBC be ready for that, be prepared, because we know in this world what? We will have trouble. And it's of great help. And, and I think we can look around at different things like the burgers and the kids that I've told you, God is doing it, even now, even now. And I, I think in some of your lives too, I'm sure. So the first thing that God helps us with is predicting the future and telling us he walked in the same footsteps we have. The second one, if you look at 1526, really long passage through 1615, it's his presence that helps us in our struggles. And really, if you'll notice here with me, I'm gonna walk through some things that are lesser to greater. I believe this is purposeful by John. He's taking us from the lesser help to the greatest help. The lesser help is prediction. A step up from that is his presence with us. But it's only number two of four. And you're like, what? I think I'll be able to show you from the text why it's only number two. And I kind of call this God being with us. Um, it's kind of greater than hearing about God or even knowing about God in the future and what he's done. It's God being with us. If you look at 526, when the helper comes, the spirit of truth. It is to your advantage, this is 16.7, that I go away, for if I don't, I won't send the helper. <laughs> he won't come. And then uh, the spirit of truth in 16.13. This is where the title of my message and the subject really is, the help that God gives. He gives us the helper. And I was like really wrestling with this. I'm like, wow, I am kind of silly. It's right there. God gives us help. He helps us. And the spirit is called the helper. Now, let's clarify some things that we might maybe be tempted to think about differently. What does going away mean? I think it just means to die. I think he says, I'm going to die, and, and you're not going to have me with you. Die and ascend, like his earthly ministry is done. And the disciples knew this. It wasn't really unclear, but it's still hard. And I think for us, too, in our walk with the Lord, it is hard. And the Bible testifies to this in various places, but think about the fact that we don't have the person of Jesus standing right next to us. The disciples did. That's hard. It says, later our faith will become sight. It says, blessed are those who believe, but what? Don't see. Man, it's talking about the Lord. It is hard not to have him with us. And in a, in a similar way, it's going to be great when we're with him, isn't it? Like right by us, like talking, hugging him, being with him, bowing down at his feet. Like that is going to be exciting. But you know what he says? You know, I'm not with you, but it's greater. I, God help me. I still don't really fully believe this. I'm like, really, Lord? Is it really true that it's better your spirit is with me now than you? It is. I'm testifying to the truth of Scripture. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, Lord, help me to get there. And his presence is worldwide. In each of you, his glory shines, just like the kind of glory that's in us. We are his temple. Not this building, you. And wherever you are, the presence of God is. That's cool. Whether in jail or in bed, whether at school or at work, he's with you. And you are a light shining in the darkness. Daniel 7. That's not just a cliche thing Christians say. I think it's 7. It might be 9. Daniel says you're like light shining in the darkness. Jesus said, let your light shine. And so it is better. God helps us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Two examples here before I uh, move to the third point. 
I've asked them or told them, Valen told them, that, that, I, <laughs> that I'm going to use them. So the first one that I really see the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life is Mindy Collins. You know, a couple of years ago, she did come to camp. And then the next year, she couldn't because of lupus. And every day, I, I don't, I'm not like at their home, but I know every day it is hard for her to get out of bed. She's tired. She has a disease that impacts her every day. And yet, by the power of the Holy Spirit, his presence with her, she walks the walk. Today, Lord, she says, what can I do? That's amazing. And then I think Steve Eichenbaum is another one. Though he can't see, he sees, right? He sees, right? Though he can't really walk because he can't see, he walks by faith. And that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. I'm sure some of you are the same way. I know many of you are the same way. I think that's two great examples of his presence in them being a way that helps them in a difficult situation. Praise God for them and for you all. So, and actually I wanted to mention, Tom gave like a six-part, six-part series on the Holy Spirit. I just don't have time today. There's a great series here, and you can read about it in lots of books. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in your lives, his presence with us is of great help to our lives. Okay. The third thing that I think Jesus talks about here um, in the middle two or larger section is prayer. Prayer. I talked about this last week a lot, but I want to say some more things about it. It's like a wartime walkie-talkie. That's a John Piper quote. Not a peacetime wish list. It can't be. It can't be. Now, I don't, I don't want to condemn anyone's prayer life, but I think friendship that Jesus has with, with us in our prayer life is intended so that we can ask for help in difficult times. He says here, and that was awesome, Gordon's opening, ask anything in my name. I almost got up and said it, but I was preaching on it. So I was like, oh, wait. If you ask anything in my name, you will have it. That is of great help. I, I looked up like prayers um, for a youth camp a couple years, and there was a Barna survey. Like the three most common prayers, like they gave them a chance to pick some help, help me, and please God help me. Like prayer is a thing that we ask for help. Now it's not the only thing, but I think clearly in this passage, that is what he's directing us to. When we need help, we can turn to God in prayer in the name of Jesus and be assured that he will answer. It might not be the answer we want because Jesus in the garden right after this said, Father, if there's any other way, let it pass. And he didn't. But we can get help. We can get help. And, and I think this one is higher on the level of uh, help. Because it's one thing to know about God. It's another to be with him. But what if he were with him and we can't talk to him? Like the Old Testament a little bit. What if we had to have someone in between us? What if we asked and he didn't answer? But he does. But he does. And we can turn to him for help in prayer. Just a verse that I absolutely love about prayer. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Man, you could do a study of prayer. Paul says there's like a chapter-long prayer in Ephesians. I mean, there are prayers all over. Prayers of help. God, help me. Help us as believers to walk this walk in a difficult world that is opposed to us every day, whether ourselves or other people. Um, here are some cool thoughts on prayer from people I respect or things um, that I've heard in the past all through the years. So let's start with about 375 AD. 
In northern Africa, Augustine of Hippo prayed this, Grant me, even me, my dearest Lord, to know you and to love you and to rejoice in you. And if I cannot do these perfectly in this life, let me at least advance to a higher degree. What humility. What a, what a wonderful man 300 years after the crucifixion-ish and Jesus' ascension. Uh, Martin Luther in the 1520s okay, said, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Wow. <laughs> okay. That is convicting for me. Oswald Chambers, about 1890, said, prayer is the greater work. Full stop. Prayer is the greater work. And then finally, Corey Tenboom in the mid-1900s said, uh, really a challenge, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Um, I think those are good, good words to us from men and women through the ages. Um, and you remember last week, I'll just share a couple cool answers to prayer. Lenny was preaching on Mark 5, the demon-oppressed man. And then basically we went to bed, had breakfast, and then Donnie's testimony of deliverance from oppression and possession of demons for 24 years came on. That's an answer to prayer. And the funny thing is, I had to swap testimonies because of a situation. So it, God arranged that. It wasn't me. I had it a different way. In answer to prayer, he did that. Erin it as a reminder, she prayed that one of the girls would find their glasses that they lost because they were really discouraged, but in a supernatural way. They were in the bottom of a 15-foot lake with a bunch of vegetation. Three hours later, they found them. I, I don't have any, like God answered that prayer, a small thing, but for his glory. And the bigger one, if you haven't heard, I'll tell it again because I love it. Jackson Johnson, he's a big, big guy, fell on a girl at camp, Abigail Ellis, and she swam out of the lake but was in pain. She was put on a board, taken in an ambulance to the hospital like about 10 days ago. And we even called the wrong Abigail. There were three of them, the wrong mother. And so, and yeah, I was really nervous. I was doubting, okay, God, how are you going to use this? And this is what happened. My sister-in-law got in the ambulance with this girl, and the person that was driving was named Jackson. And she shared the story, and he's like, wow. And it turns out he's either not a believer or a struggling one and wants to have community with us. And so we're going to continue to reach out to him. The mom was okay, and they showed up back at camp later that day, and they were like, you know, God, use this in our life. I was like blown away. That's an answer to prayer. Your daughter like, is really almost injured. Nothing was wrong with her, actually. Nothing at all. Like nothing. She took ibuprofen, came back and went to bed and got up and the next day happy. Like God answers prayer. And these, and you all too can testify in your lives to the things God has answered in prayer. And let me tell you, these are but a small fraction of the billions, if not more, prayers of the saints of all times in different places in thousands of years that God has answered to build his kingdom. Man, that's encouraging to me. Prayer is of great help in our lives. He will answer it and redeem people and encourage you and lift you up. Or maybe he'll just say, wait, and you'll struggle, and you'll feel his presence, but you can talk to him about it. Prayer is of great help. And finally, so that one is kind of the next to the top of, of the helps. I think 1629 through 33 is the greatest help. None of these things really matter if Jesus isn't powerful. Because we could ask of him, I could ask like Sundeep to do something, and he might or might not be able to do it. My son asks a lot of things for me. <laughs> I can only do a small fraction of them. But Jesus is able to do whatever he wants. 
Think about it this way. And I want to read this verse again, 1633. Take heart. In other words, be courageous. I have overcome the world. If you murder the person that you hate and they just come back from the dead, what can you do? How are you going to win? You can't. You can do nothing to that person. You can't stop them. And that's the power that Jesus has. He is unstoppable. And it's so sure here, this word, for I have overcome, is like a future happened already kind of statement. He's like, you've seen me raise people from the dead. It's so certain in your life that I'm going to come back and I will have overcome the world. He's like looking toward the future. And I think this is another kind of divine thing. God's outside of time. And so in his mind, it's already accomplished. He wills it, it happens. Now, redemption was accomplished on the cross. But beforehand, it was agreed that it would happen. And God doesn't lie. And he has the power to accomplish whatever he wants. And so when Jesus says to them, I have overcome the world, he means it. And when you hear that in your life, and when you're struggling with the ability to do something or the power in you isn't seeming to work, remember the resurrection. Because if it fails now, if everything fails, even God forbid you die for some reason, struggling with your faith, you will be raised again if you know him as Savior. And nothing can stop that. I, this passage really just hit me because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, right? Like, without the resurrection, I'm like, okay, I believe that. But here it is. Here it is. If you can't murder him and he comes back to life, you can't stop him and he can't stop, stop us either. We'll have opposition in this world, but Jesus has overcome it. And he will overcome it because we will all in him raise from the dead. And we have that newness of life now. You know, I, lo I love it because I just identify with the disciples so much here. <laughs> They're like, finally, we get it, man. Jesus, we're going to do well. Two hours later, they're not. And it just, it's just so cool because I think here's the theology. Here's what God wants us to understand. It's not their faith that accomplishes what they need to do. It is the object of their faith. In other words, if Jesus didn't have power, who cares how much faith they had? Like, I love baseball, and Matthew Curl and I play baseball. And if I was like, oh, yeah, like... I can go out and hit 90 miles an hour. He'd, he'd be like, really? You might believe that, but he wouldn't. If you believed it, it'd be silly, because I can't. Okay? So the object of the faith, in that case me, but in this case Jesus, is what matters. So he says, you know what? That's okay. You, you can do that. What help do I provide the power to accomplish what I want in your lives? And they did. They did. Think about us. We are here because of them. And not... You know, I mean that, humanly speaking, the instruments. And you are here because of someone else that shared the... Like, look, it happened. And we'll be raised from the dead one day. And so it's not, the ob it's not their own faith. It's the object of their faith. And I think that's our biggest temptation is to look inside at our faith and think that our faith somehow accomplishes what God wants in the world. No. No. It's God. I love this verse. I, I'm going to read a couple of verses about God's power to you here. Isaiah 59, 1. And it's really cool because it says, Listen, <laughs> the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you. Deuteronomy 10, 17, and 18 says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God, who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. 
He ensures orphans and widows receive justice. That's power. That's power. He shows love to foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. What power. And then Romans 8.11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living in you. Man, I think that's why it's the, it's the most help. We have God's power living in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Take heart. Um, overcoming is difficult, but it's already been done. There's victory. For addiction, there's victory. For loneliness, there's victory in Christ. For all the things that Jesus lists, he provides help. He provides help. And it might not be immediately, but there's help there. Because in the end, he'll raise you from the dead. And all those things, they're gone. They are gone at that point. That help is certain. I don't know how he'll help you now, but I know that help is certain. And he will help you now. He will help you to persevere and not fall away. Even if you scatter for a while, even if you're living in sin now, if you're his, he'll help you. The disciples did. And he helped them. So one practical application as I close here from this text. What is overcoming the world by the power of Christ in you mean for you today? In other words, where is an area of application for us that isn't like being murdered for the gospel? Because that might happen, but it's not right now. I think here's a good one. Uh, the grace to parent well. <laughs> I, I am in the midst of it, and we've needed it. And you never really stop being a parent, I've heard. The grace to parent well. I love, there's a poem here that I want to read to you. It says, They paint no badanas on chapel walls in Rome, but with a touch diviner, they live one in their home. They write no lofty poems that critics count as art, but with a nobler vision, they live them in their heart. They carve no shapeless marble to some high-souled design, but with a finer sculpture, they shaped many souls sublime. They built no cathedrals that centuries applaud, but with a grace exquisite, they, their lives cathedraled God. Had I the gift of Raphael or Michelangelo, oh, what a rare Madonna a mother's life would show by Thomas Fessenden. It's not Mother's Day, but man, praise God for good mothers and fathers, right? And you can be that by the power of God. There's one application where you can overcome. It is a difficult world. You can't even really turn on the TV as a believer without having something said that you don't want said. But God is able to help. He's able to help. So he gives us prediction. We know what's happening and what will happen. He's been through it. He gives us his presence in the Holy Spirit to help us. And then he gives us prayer so that we can talk to him. And then he gives us his power so that we know that he's at work in our lives. Um, come to the Lord for help. I guess that's my encouragement just overall. Come to the Lord for help and do those things. Don't be unaware and trust in his power to help you. He's overcome the world. Let's pray. And then we're going to sing a song. Um, he is overcome. Pretty appropriate, I think. Um, so let's pray, and then we'll sing together, and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, what a promise we have in this passage that we can come to you for help in the name of Jesus, and you will give it. Uh, just pray that we would trust that, and that you would show us your power, and that we too could be overcomers of the world because you have overcome. Your same power is living in us. I just pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.